Hey, can we turn our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8? We're going to talk about this is you with resurrection power. Can anyone use that this week? Had a rough one? This is you with resurrection power. We start with this illustration that even bad news can sound like good news. It's a matter of your vantage point. So I'm going to read a letter that a young college girl wrote to her parents. All right, I have to read this. Uh, young college girl had two problems, which are common to many students. She had low grades and no money. She was forced to communicate both needs to her parents. She knew her folks would really struggle trying to understand her struggle. She decided to try a creative approach to try to soften the blows of her reality. So she wrote a letter on paper, just like this. Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after 11th grade in order to get married. After about a year ago, he got a divorce. Three months ago, he was finally released from prison after going through nine months of mandatory anger management. We've been going steady now for two months and plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. I think I'm pregnant. Uh, at any rate, I've dropped out of school last week, although I'd like to finish my college sometime in the future. Turn the page for page two. Dear Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far is totally false. None of it is true. There's no gym, I'm not pregnant, and I didn't drop out of college. However, it is true that I got a D in French and I'm flunking calculus. It is true that I'm going to need some more money for my tuition payments. Thank you for being such kind and understanding parents. With love, your wonderful little girl. So this is a case of even bad news can sound like good news if you got a certain vantage point. Case in point, Romans 7 was full of bad news. Romans 8 makes it sound great because now we're doing, we're, we're doing things the, the Lord's way. So by way of review, last week I asked you, hey, when somebody asks you the question, how's it, you respond by hitting your chest and saying, in the victory as opposed to in the defeat. I had uh, college, in college it was a, a weird time, except for Bible college it was good, but junior college was in Florida and I had some friends that we did crazy things. And so what, they're telling me one night that, that a bunch of them got, got uh, high on sniffing paint, you could do that, and uh, they got so high they were trying to climb a little wooden fence and they couldn't. They kept trying to climb it, and they'd fall backwards into the grass laughing, thinking, oh, it's so fun to be high. Then Bobby told me, I heard Satan laughing at me. And I think that sounds like defeat. I don't want Satan laughing at me. I'd rather be in the victory, okay? That's what that whole thing means. When was the last time you could honestly pound on your chest and say, you know what, I'm in the victory this week? How about this? Romans 6 has great doctrine. Doctrine's a fancy word for teaching. It, it has things like the significance of water baptism. Remember the illustration, baptizo in the Greek? It's an illustration of dyeing cloth. So you start with a white piece of cloth, you have this royal purple color, and you baptize it. It goes in one color, it comes up a whole new identity. 
That's the idea of water baptism. It's not just some little ritual. It's, it's the idea I only identify with Jesus Christ. We were in, uh, in India at a train station, and I was just telling a team, don't give money to the beggars because you'll have 200 beggars around you. No sooner had I said that than my heart was so touched by a grandma who was dressed in rags. They dressed like in burlap bags. And she's asking for money, and I give her money. But I want to share with her, you only need Jesus. You know, uh, and that's kind of interesting. I'm speaking English. She speaks Hindi. And, and so I go, oh, Jesus, Yesu, that's all you need. And Now, she had a bunch of things around her neck, kind of like the Olympic gold medals and stuff. But instead of a gold medal... She'd have a picture of an idol, or a picture of a swami, or a picture of another religion. She had tons of them. So when I said, you only need Jesus, she oh, oh, and she's sorting through them all, and she finds Jesus, she goes, I got him. Meaning, I got all the bases covered. I said, no, 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 all these, no. Just Jesus. That's what, uh, that's what water baptism is. I completely identify only with Jesus Christ. It, 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 Romans 6, it goes on, don't let sin rule in your body, meaning you have a say in this. How? Well, present yourself. You used to be a slave of unrighteousness. Now be a slave of righteousness. What's that supposed to mean? Don't fast in front of an open refrigerator. If I'm trying to avoid temptation, why would I, if I'm on a, a week-long fast, why would I open a refrigerator and say, oh, huh? What else can I be tempted with? You know, don't even go there. So Romans 7, what we did last week, it's looking back on Romans 6 and saying, you know, it looks good on paper, but I can't do it. I want to. I just can't. So I believe there's a lot of people who don't become a Christian because they know themselves so well. They look at you this morning. They say, I can't do that. You got to bring to church. I, I, you pray. You read about you give money, you, you tell people about Jesus, and they're going, I know myself. I know my weaknesses, my inconsistencies. I can't do that. That's life without the Holy Spirit. That, that's life without the resurrection power of the Spirit. So in Romans 7, he's looking back on Romans 6. That was really good teaching in Romans 6, all that stuff. I just can't do it. He said, I agree with the law. It's good stuff. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Worship God. I, all that stuff I agree with. I just can't do it. it. Instead, it backfired. All manner of evil desire came up. I looked inside. It got ugly. So I want to do it. I just can't. He basically says, the Lord knows I'm trying. Remember, he'd get up in the morning. God, I promise to never. I really learned my lesson. I will never do that again. You can count on me. Sounds like Peter, right? The rest of these guys are losers, but I'm your boy. And, and, and I, I, but Lord, instead, I promise this day I'm going to witness to my neighbor. I'm going to do good work. I'm going to be encouraging. He said, the Lord knows I'm trying. But he had eye problems. This is Paul the Apostle being so in-your-face, transparent, honest, gut-wrenching, guys, this is my address. This is where I live. I know what I'm talking about. This is how I experience it. He says, oh man, he had eye problems. I try to do this. I can't do that. I promise this. I never do that. And so, not one mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter 7. 
chapter 8, the predominant subject is the power of the Holy Spirit. We just sang about it, resurrection power. Remember, one of the last things we talked about uh, last week was the Pinocchio Christian. Pinocchio Christian no sooner gets the string side, remember he was a puppet, and then was the blue fairy comes and cuts all the, the strings. They're all gone. He's free to do whatever he wants, but instead he kept using his freedom to find new ways to tie himself up. So this is what the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote in Galatians 5. You, brethren, have been called to liberty. Maybe your Bible says freedom. You've been called to freedom. You're Pinocchio without the strings. Only don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, meaning your strings are cut. Stay free. Don't say, hmm, now I can really get into drugs, or now I can really do this. But he said, rather, through love, serve one another. So, we ended with, oh, wretched man that I am. Remember, it was, uh, he said, who, this is at the end of chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? It was not what will deliver me. It was not how will I get delivered. It's who. I need a savior. I don't need a three-point plan. And so back then, when he said, oh, wretched man that I am, he's talking about how if you were guilty of capital punishment, if you killed somebody, they could, by way of punishment, tie that person's corpse to your back. And you'd have to carry it around until you died. So that corpse was death, de de decaying, excuse me, could have disease, and it would just kind of permeate into you. They said the smell of carrying around that corpse, the smell alone would kill you. And he's saying, I got this. I'm condemned to death. I'm a condemned man carrying this guy on my back. Who is going to set me free from this? The um, sorry. The so who will deliver me? Remember, it's like the cry of a wounded soldier on the battlefield. And his cry is simply medic. But it's medic. And it's the cry of, I get it. I'm condemned to death. I am dying. So on the battlefield, I'm bleeding out. I need help. Somebody, medic. He's not saying what, not saying how. He's saying who is my medic. And Jesus Christ comes to the rescue. Excuse me for one second here. I tried to do the three-step program. I tried to memorize this. I tried to better myself. I tried to snap the, you know, the rubber band on my wrist. It doesn't work. I need a savior. And so we ended with, thank God for Jesus Christ. Which goes back to the total identity only with Jesus Christ. I thank God that I am totally identified Baptized only into Jesus Christ. And so from there, we, pick, we get into Romans 8. It's kind of a longer intro, shorter sermon. How's that? So in Romans 8, they call it the, the diamond of the New Testament because it just sparkles. So it opens with no condemnation. It closes with no separation from Christ. Nothing can separate you. Nothing. And then in the middle, it's all about the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking this morning of this is you with resurrection power. We're going to have to do it in two parts because it's that powerful and we need this that much. Here's three things you know. Here's our outline for this morning. Number one, there's a new law. So all three things start with there's a new. There's a new law. 
There's a new way to think. There's a new way to live. So we begin, we're just going to read the first four verses. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Don't you love the word now? Now, not when you die, now. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't the idea of you won't feel bad. This is right after the, the verses of I'm a condemned man. I'm carrying a, con uh, a dead man on my back. I'm condemned to death. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now that part might not be in all your Bibles. It will be in everyone's Bible in, chapter, in verse 4. It's the same thing. But for, for some translations, it's added in, chapter, in verse 1. They'd say it's a copyist error that somebody got kind of carried away and, and tacked on verse 4 and duplicated it. Uh, I'd rather you hear that from me here in church than from s some guy who's trying to derail your faith. But it's, it's there. It's in verse 4. So, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. See, that's, that's where it's repeated. But according to the spirit. All right, this is what he's saying. It sounds complicated, but it's really not. So this, this part is the, there's a new law. Again, it's now. Already we've been set free. There's no death sentence. That's what no condemnation means. No death sentence. How do we know that? Because there's this law of double jeopardy. Have you ever read that? Have you ever heard about that? Where you cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Jesus was tried and condemned for my sin I'm set free. I can't be tried and condemned for it because Jesus already paid. That would be double jeopardy. This is great news for those who don't know if they're saved. Jesus paid the price. If I'm in him, there's no condemnation, meaning no death sentence. Then it says, uh, I'm, I'm asking this question, well, what does it mean to be in Christ? You ever thought, of, okay, if someone asked you that on the street, what's your answer? Listen to this. Isaiah, now, we studied this in Bible college. It's gross. I'm just giving you a heads up. This is gross. Isaiah 66, or 64, verse 6 says, All our righteous acts are filthy rags, are like filthy rags. So what he's saying is, if, I'm, if I go up to Jesus and said, on the cross, I might as well slap him on the cross. Nice try, but I don't need you. I have my righteousness. I'm pretty good. I give money. I feed the poor. You know, I, I clean up the beach. Hey, all those things are good. But they're not good enough to get me into heaven. And so those are called my righteous deeds. And here in Isaiah, it's this despicable word picture. It says, when you're walking around in front of God, saying, I'm pretty good. I give money. I feed the party. It goes, it's like parading around in a menstrual rag a soiled menstrual rag that's been speckled with human dung. Is that gross or what? If you're here this morning and you're rehearsing things like, I'm a pretty good person, 
I mean, there's worse off, but, I, you know, I give money. I, I read my Bible. I, I'm pretty good. I, those are good things, but they're not going to get you into heaven. You'll find yourself parading in front of God in this despicable way. And it's as if you're saying, I didn't need Jesus. I'm good enough on my own. So he said, no, that's like filthy rags. So in Christ means I'm not on my own. If Christ were an envelope of perfect righteousness, we get in the envelope. Just another word picture. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Can't get out. And God says, where's Mike Stangle? He's in Christ. He has the righteousness of God in Christ. He's not parading around with his own righteousness. He's in Christ. That's where you want to be. Now, here's the deal. Romans 8 is going a step further. Okay, I'm in Christ, but I want the abundant life he talked about. Remember in John 10, verse 10, he said, well, the devil, he's come to rob, kill, and destroy. So according to Jesus, Satan's will for your life is to rob you, kill you, destroy you. Then Jesus went on to say, but I have come that they may have abundant life, more abundantly. Go, okay, that's what I want. I, I, I love being forgiven of sin. But can I have that abundant life that he's talking about? So that's what he's here. He's saying, okay, there's this new law. Now, he says law twice, once in verse 2, once in verse 3. And there are two different meanings. The new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, think of it as a new controlling principle. Because in verse 3, when he says the law, he's talking about the 613 commandments. Remember, you go, I thought there's 10. Those are the initial ten written on stone outside my heart, right? Then there's six, there a total of 613. We don't even know them all, let alone how many you busted. My favorite is don't touch a dead gecko. Who in Hawaii has never touched a dead gecko? You did? You're toast, man. That's it. You broke the law. So he's saying, now but there's this new principle from that, that supersedes that. It's like the law of gravity versus the law of leverage. This will help. If I take my pen and drop it, the law of gravity is in operation. It will fall to the floor. It's gravity. It'll work every time. But if I introduce a new law, what's he saying here? I have this new law now, the law of leverage. So as I drop the pen with my right hand, I catch it with my left hand, gravity is still in effect. But now it's been superseded by this new law, this law of leverage. That's what he's saying. Yeah, there's sin principle there, but we have this new law, this new governing principle, and that's what the Spirit does. Otherwise, how can a plane, do you know that a 747 that's fully loaded with people and fully loaded with suitcases, 700,000 pounds. If you see that thing on the runway, Say you go back in time, 50 years, you just go, that is not going to fly. That is so, it's just going to sit there. Except if you introduce the law of thrust, the law of aerodynamics, and all of a sudden that thing takes off. You go, wow. Yeah, there's still gravity. But now these new laws have been introduced. So, he's saying that the law is fulfilled, it's fulfilled in us, not by us. See, we accept Christ. We're put in that envelope. And now, we don't have to fulfill all 613 laws. Because he did it, it's now fulfilled in us. 
So remember, we're going back to chapter 7. I thank God for, for Christ. When you do this, this is great news. This is what people don't understand. When you come to Christ, it's more than, okay, I promise to be good for the rest of my life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, anyone, anyone, it's all inclusive, anyone who comes to Christ, they're a new creation. All things become new. The old things, they just fade away. That explains why when you have these taste buds for serious sin, you become a Christian. Say, the guy who has potty mouth. My friend Waxer always calls it potty mouth. All of a sudden, he's a Christian. You go, wow, I don't want to cuss him. No more F-bombs. No more F-bombs. It's like, what happened? I lost the flavor of that. I lost taste. I got these new taste buds. So if you're a Christian, you become a Christian, all things become new. The old things pass away, and again, all things become new. Which brings us to our second part, a new way to think. So in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Uh, this is why we're, it's a new way of thinking. They set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, that's what I want. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. Folks, you have enough problems without being at enmity with God, without being at war. Life is complicated enough, you don't want to be at war with God. So you don't want to have this mind that's set on the things of the flesh. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, it, uh, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, that's a summary. You just can't please Him. So, it's a new way to think. And basically is what's my focus in life? What's my, uh, like if my thought life could be projected onto this PowerPoint, that would be scary, right? Would it be mostly spiritual things or just fleshly things, carnal things? So, he says, according to the flesh, living uh, as if you're not even saved. It reminds me, for an example, let's talk about the Jews, 40 years in the wilderness under Moses, right? I've been chewing on this lately. Have you thought about 40 years with no new shoes? Whatever pair of slippers you had when you left Egypt, you've, you wear them for 40 years. Ladies, not to pick on you, but I know there's some Imeldas out there. Do you remember when Imelda was busted in the Philippines? She had like 70 million shoes. You know, we like variety. We like to spice it up. Nope. No new chains of clothes. No restaurants. No shopping centers. No hotels with pools. Does that sound good to you? Do you think, and then, and then, it's the, the desert. You know, they call it the wilderness. There's no trees. It's desert. There's snakes. There's things like the camel spider. Have you ever seen that thing? It is nasty. They, they have nasty spiders, nasty snakes, no water. And then to the point that people, when they first heard, hey, well, God's going to bring us through the wilderness. Oh, I would go. But I'm concerned about my kids. What an assault on the character of God. God's saying, I think I can take care of your kids. I think I can protect you from snakes 
and scorpions and all that stuff. I think I can provide. So for 40 years, how boring, because it's only supposed to be 11 days. But they had disobedience and unbelief. And so we read, because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, watch this, for 40 years, this verse scares me from Psalm 78. Therefore, their days, the Jews in the wilderness, God consumed in futility their years in fear. I'm always thinking, i got one life to live here. I want the abundant life of Christ. I do not, I'm not interested in a, every day is futile. What are we doing? Oh, we're walking through the wilderness. Got nothing new, but we have manna. What are we doing? We're afraid. Afraid of enemies. Afraid of snakes. Afraid of this. Afraid of no water. And God says, you're living a life of disobedience. You're living a life of no faith. You're going to be given over to a life that's futile. Life full of fear. I'm not interested in that. I, I want to live a life of faith. I, I want to live a life where I'm connected to the Savior. I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. A life where I'm abiding in faith, hope, and love. Right? So, it goes on to say that Jesus put it this way. Matthew chapter 6. I just shared this. I did a wedding last night. And as I'm summing up, I'm looking at this couple and knowing you got a lifetime ahead. It's exciting. But I quoted Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else falls into place. So here Jesus said, seek first. Don't worry. It's almost like don't worry, be happy, but it's better than that. He said, don't worry, seek first. Because those who are carnally minded, those who are at enmity with God, all they're thinking about, what are we going to eat what are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Now, those are good points. They, especially back then, 2,000 years ago, there's no refrigerators. There's no freezers. It's not like you can have leftovers like we have, unless you rub the salt in the meat or whatever. But it's not as convenient as it is today. And so I understand waking up and mama's thinking, dad's thinking, man, what are we going to feed the kids today? Oh, man, I got to go prepare this. I gotta, where are we going to get some good water? I understand a life that has those thoughts. But he's saying, don't take it to this extreme to where all I'm thinking about is the, what I can eat and wear and drink. And, and not thinking, I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time. And so Jesus is messing with them when he goes, seek first the kingdom of God. He's number 90 on your list. Seek first. Everything else will take care of itself. He said the unbelievers do what you're talking about. Unbelievers are so consumed with those thoughts of what are we going to wear and eat. They don't have time for God. So Proverbs says that this is very interesting. Another verse on what to think. Proverbs 23 verse 7. As a man thinks, so is he. Some people think in defeat. They think, I can't jump rock at Waimea. I'll die. You're not going to die. You might look like a fool, but you're not going to die. I read a book years ago, Telling Yourself the Truth. What a great book. Because he quotes stuff like that. Oh, if I had to do that, I'll die. What are you telling yourself that for? That's not true. You're not going to die. You'll die eventually, but not from giving a speech or jumping off rock. So what are you saying to yourself? Are you telling yourself the truth? How about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
How about God has, God has called me to this? And instead of, you know, thinking I'm, I'm going to ruin it, no, God's going to bless. So here's the deal. He said, living in the Spirit is thinking about things of the Lord. You know, that's like saying, don't think about pink elephants. And all you see is pink elephants. You say, how do I do that? Newsflash, meditate. Not the Eastern kind, but the Jesus kind. Eastern meditation, trust me, I've been to India, saw this guy walking down the street, basically naked. He's, he's got not only long dreads, but cow dung is mashed in his dreads. He's got like, it's like, he's like a zombie. You know, Walking Dead, I never see that stuff, but that's him. He's walking down the street, and people go, wow, I <laughs> wish I could be like him. He's arrived. And I'm thinking, wherever he's going, I'm not going. I'm, that's not what my idea of arrival. Because in their culture, to meditate is to empty your brain. And so as he would empty his brain, you could fill it with, I mean, Satan can fill it with stuff. The Jesus culture is to fill your brain. Psalm 1, in God's law, he meditates day and night. It's not that I'm emptying my brain, I'm filling my brain with God's thoughts. So meditation is a great word when it's used in the right context. I'm rejecting the idea of emptying my mind. I'm accepting the biblical idea of filling my mind with God's thoughts. And consequently, I can be thinking about him all the time. So, I love this verse. One more thing on the, on the thoughts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, we can be taking every or bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And what it means, it's a, another word picture. The, the Bible's full of word pictures for people like me that need, need that. So if you can picture corral, you're in the West, right? You're in Idaho, Montana, what? and it's just a big corral, but it's empty. And all the horses are out there. They're just roaming around, and each horse represents a thought. They're just roaming around, and you're going, man, I'm a slave to those thoughts that are just random and wandering. He goes, no, lasso that horse. Bring it into the corral, which we're calling the obedience of Christ. If you're here and just... Random thoughts are floating around. You can tell yourself, 2 Corinthians tells me to lasso those thoughts and take them captive to not a corral, but to the obedience of Christ. You see, the bottom line is, I don't have to be a slave to my thoughts. How many times have you found yourself saying, I can't help it. It's just in my mind. Okay, that's the carnal thought. The spiritual thought is, I can do all things through Christ. I want the victory. And I'm going to last through those thoughts instead of random. And they come all the time, right? And instead of just floating with them and letting them run around, last through those thoughts and bring them captive to the obedience of Christ. So now we close our stuff today with chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. And my Bible turn a page. Okay, so verse 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You know another thought of thinking? I love this song. It's like one of my favorite songs. I am who you say I am. That's the kind of thinking we're talking about. 
I love it put to a song. I am who you say I am. I love the ones about resurrection power too. It was really cool. Because, verse 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. Who you want Christ in you. If Christ is in you, the body's dead because of the sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, this is the verse where you get, this is you with resurrection power. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right, so I have a question. How do you measure power? Some people say horsepower. I, I had a 1965 GTO, had 335 horsepower. Dangerous for a 17-year-old trying to impress girls in high school. Stupid. It was the first, uh, they called it the first muscle car of its time, the early GTOs. I told my dad, hey, uh, can I sell my Chevy Malibu Supersport and buy a Pontiac? He didn't know about muscle cars. Pontiac, that's a family. Yeah, buy your Pontiac. So I bring home the GTO and sitting outside. My dad was furious. What, are you going to leave rubber at every stop sign? No. Great idea. I would have had child discipline at that point. But the thing is, it had a lot of horsepower. But let's go bigger. What, what about a, a, a plane, a 747 in flight, has about just under 60,000 horsepower? Let's go big. What do you think a rocket ship costs? How much horsepower? Try about 44 million horsepower. That's pretty powerful. But it can't raise the dead. See my point? How do you, what's power to you? How about this scripture? How much power does it take to raise the dead? Hebrews. We're in Hebrews in our Ohana groups, having blasts. Chapter 13. Now, the God of peace, I like that, that title, God of peace. Notice this, who brought up Jesus from the dead. There's the power. May he make you complete in every good work. Here's power. And, and this is where the unbeliever just doesn't get it. He thinks we're here to keep a bunch of rules. He doesn't, he's thinking Ten Commandments written on stone outside. No, God says I write it on your heart in the New Testament. In your mind where you know what I think, where you know what I want, and you want to do it. He says that's the God who has such power, he raises the dead. Okay? So, this is you with everlasting power resisting temptation. See, the idea is... Okay, God has power, right? He raised the dead. He can give you resurrection power in Jesus Christ. So Romans 8, 9 says, but you're not in the flesh. In the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Spirit of God is not a force. We'll get into this more next week. I'm kind of grieved because I think this is like the big secret for too many Christians. He is not a force. He's the third person of the Trinity. According to Jesus, there's a direct connection with any power in my life and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive, to the disciples, you'll receive power, dunamis, dynamite in the Greek, when the Spirit comes upon you. It's irrefutable. If you want power, it comes in the third person of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, third person of the Trinity. So, Romans 5, 
Remember, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But in verse 5, it says, we, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Remember, hope doesn't disappoint. The Holy Spirit's been poured out within our hearts. And so he's there in the life of the believer. But mine, we need to pray, Lord, I surrender. I want more of you. I, I heard it explained once, like, you're, in a, you're a stagecoach. And you're used to having both reins. Come on, giddy up, giddy up. And, you know, you ask Christ in your life, okay, he's on the other side of the stagecoach or the other seat. And after a while you go, you know what, this is where, here, you take a, a rein and I'll take a rein. And we'll kind of co-rein. How's that? It's not working. And finally you go, you take both reins, I'm getting in the back. I am totally surrendering to you, Holy Spirit. I, I want you to lead, to provide that power, to give me the abundant life. So, he, it says he dwells, if he dwells in you. So there's an old book. My, my Heart, Christ's Home. It's talking about dwelling. And it's a great book, but here, my rendition. Uh, for some people, and I've had this in my life, where Christ comes to my front door. So on my front door, I have a screen door, and I have a wooden door, right? You probably have the same. He knocks. I open the wooden door, and I go, hi, Jesus, so good. To, yeah, enjoy the lanai, enjoy the porch. But we have this screen between us. It's uncomfortable. It's separating. And yeah, I see him. I'm close. But there's no intimacy. There's no hug. It is a screen door. And he knocks again. You mind if I come in? You're not going to like everything you see in there. I, I can handle. So we open the front door. And it's like each, each room in our house has a key. I'll give you the key to the living room, but you sit in that chair and behave yourself. Isn't this like blasphemous? You're only welcome in the front door because my living room squeaky clean. My wife just cleaned it. There's nothing uh, immoral. There's nothing that's going to stumble you. Jesus, you're going to go, what a nice house. After about an hour, the Lord goes, uh, Mike, I see there's more rooms to the house, meaning my heart. What do you say we go to one of the bedrooms? No, no, geez, I told you, you're here. It's good. I want that bedroom. So I reluctantly give him the next key, and he goes in the bedroom, and he goes, what's this? What, do you, what is this doing here? Yeah, that should probably go. Sets me free from that, whatever it is. And we go through each room in this manner, and finally there's the back room, and he goes, okay, what's in there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just whatever, junk, you know, storage. Let's go. You, you, you really don't, let's go. Have you ever given him that last key? Said, Lord, we need to do some spring cleaning. It's a mess. That's the side of me nobody knows about. That's my thought life. If that was projected onto the screen, I'm in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. Uh, there's stuff that my wife doesn't know about. My kids wouldn't dream about. But you know all about it. Give me the key. Do you want me to dwell here? Do you want me to feel comfortable? Am I Jesus, Lord of all? Or Jesus in the living room? So you reluctantly give him that last key. And then he dwells. In your house, 
if your heart were a house, does he know he's welcome? He's comfortable. He's Lord. He can make those changes. So he dwells. And this is how we have victory. There's two principles. Your car runs by a storage principle. You have gas or electricity, right? You have a, some oil. But you have to store it up. Without that gas or electricity, you're not going to go anywhere. So you have the power, the storage principle. But then there's these cars. I don't know if they're still there in San Francisco. They used to be real famous. They were the, the cable cars. And they ran by the contact principle. If you were around, they had that arm, that steel, that metal arm that went up to the electrical outlet or the electrical wire. And as long as it was contact with that, in contact, it could run. It had power because it was contacted. So as a Christian, you're to have both. You have the storage principle because it says you're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the contact principle by abide in Christ. And without that contact, there's no power. Without that contact, I'm backslidden. Without that contact, I'm on my own. And as this, the Lord goes, well, this should be cute. Mike on his own. Mike, without contact with me. So, I believe, in summary, a lot of people do not become a Christian because they know themselves too well. They're still thinking Old Testament. They're still thinking these commandments written on tablets of stone on the outside. They're not thinking, oh, it's written on my heart, on the inside. It's, so I want to do it. I, I know what God wants. No, no, no. They know themselves too well, but they don't know enough about the Holy Spirit. Here was our outline. There's a new law. A new principle. Remember the gravity versus the law of leverage. That sin is still there. But the law of the spirit, the law of life in, in, the, in Christ supersedes that. Gives us victory. There's a new way to think. You will be challenged this week. And probably given to the wrong thinking sooner or later. Because we'll go by, well, I feel like doing this. I feel like having this little thing in my mind. I, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'll never grow. No, wait, wait, wait. There's a new way of thinking. And it's to be thinking the way the Spirit wants us to think. We can meditate on God's promises. And then finally, there's a new way to live. This is you on resurrection power. Remember, we go back to, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we're back to complete identity through baptism, only in Christ. I'm not saying baptism saves you. What it speaks of saves you. I only identify with Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for my sins. His spirit will set me free in resurrection power and in newness of life. So, as the worship team comes up, where do you stand? Can I be your best friend? In eternity? I trust you're not here holding on to those, well, I still, you know, I give money, I'm this, this, and, and those righteous things. Because you don't want to end up praying in front of God in that despicable outfit. Are you here in Christ where you saw, I, I don't have a dead man strapped to my back, but I'm condemned to death as a sinner before a holy, holy, holy God. And have, has that been removed in Christ 
to where you know there's now no death sentence over you. Now you're free because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then do you know that if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. It's like, why is this a big secret? This is wonderful. This is you on resurrection power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We were strapped to a dead man. We called out medic, and there you were. Thank you. There's nothing random about the cross. It was on purpose. And Lord, I, I, I pray for myself. I pray for my friends here. Lord, for those who've been struggling with thought life, struggling with the wrong thoughts, the, the defeat, the never change attitude, the never grow, I pray this week would be a week of victory, a week of rehearsing your promises, your faithfulness. May you liberate us with resurrection power, not to be tied up again to some other sin, but to be set free. You know, as Christians are praying here, if you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you surrendered to Christ and said, okay, I'm not going on my own. You paid the price. I want you in my life. I, I want to be forgiven of my sins. If, if that's you this morning, you're probably sensing the spirit just pounding on your chest, saying, make that move. Surrender now. If that was you, and you'd like to give your life to Christ, you'd like to have your sins forgiven, I'd like to pray for you. Could you simply raise your hand wherever you are right now and say, yes, could you pray for me? I want to be born again. I want Christ in my life. I want to be saved from my sins. Is there anyone here? Okay. Let's stand and worship our Lord.